Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode six. Today's episode will be broken up into three parts. So today you'll be listening to part one, which includes four topics. Each of the three parts, parts one, two, and three, include the normal cast of characters. You've got yours truly. That's Victor Bonacci. I can be reached at Agile Coffee. John Jorgensen at Water Scrumbon. Brett Palmer at Brett underscore Palmer. And finally, Dr. David Cornelius. Dave can be reached at Dr. Cornelius Info. That's D R C O R N E L I U S I N F O. Or at Dave-Cornelius.com. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a little brew of Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Wow. Convoy. Yeah. Convoy. Okay. <laughs> so good morning. Here we are from Paradise Perks, another Saturday morning in Irvine, California. First topic today is going to be Agile Eats What? Amoeba Hump Reverts Keyman Syndrome. Why don't you start us off with that, John? Sure. So I keep hearing this quote that Agile, I'm sorry, that culture eats strategy for breakfast, meaning I assume that culture is much more important in terms of impacts on a company's outputs than even strategy. And I I don't disagree. I think that that's legitimately true. However, in the same breath, they'll also say culture is the most complex and hard to influence or control element of a company as well. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a it can hurt you and it can help you, and there's not much you can seem to do about it. Well, um, as we were talking yesterday, one of the points that I was making when we were talking about this a little bit was that mm-hmm. um, at, when, a, when a startup is formed, mm-hmm. um, you know, those first few employees have a really large impact in developing what will be the culture of that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we see that with a lot of those software companies in the Bay Area where they have ping pong tables and break rooms and nap rooms and things like that. I think that kind of um, thing sets the tone, mm-hmm. uh, the backdrop for then, then the environment in which people are going to work and whether or not that environment is going to foster the innovation and the, the, uh, and the brilliant ideas. I think it does, but there's so many other things that start lumping onto that culture. For example, you acquire investors and, you know, whether it's venture capital or, or, or an angel or something like that, sometimes you have folks come on who say, you know, we're not, we don't want to have this image of a little startup. Maybe our clients want to see more stability, so let's put the Nerf guns away. And, and sometimes it's more than just the topical things. It's, it's the values, mm-hmm. right? because culture is also values as well. As, as some of that start to bubble up to the top where mm-hmm. people are, are beginning to demonstrate exactly what they truly value mm-hmm. in the organization and what they intend to get out of this experience of 
mm-hmm. of the company. So I think something that overrides what's going on with um, an agile practice and how that comes into play. So I was at a startup as an agile coach, and when I came on board, there were 25 or so people, but the three founders played uh, a very important part in setting the culture, obviously. It's based on their values, and they use what are called the four H's uh, in all their hiring and firing decisions as well, but but just kind of guiding them through uh, key decisions, uh, honest, hungry, humble, happy. And that culture is something that we talk about, um, if not every day, certainly every couple of weeks, we bring it up in some manner or another, talking about the four H's. And as we've scaled over 200 employees, it's still something that is... Uh, talked about. Even though the culture on the micro level may change, we still kind of think about what does it mean to be working for this company and it reverts back to the 4-H's. So are we trying to accomplish a discussion of, of what's more important, culture or strategy? Is that the focus of uh, this card, John? Or? Actually, my interest was around what what really drives a, col- a company's culture over the long term, like say 10 or 20 years. And is it something that can intentionally be uh, pushed in one direction or another and by, by a small group of individuals in the company? Well, that's an interesting question. I think, I think that uh, there could be a lot of factors that, mm-hmm. that influence culture. Mm-hmm. The, the word that I, that I was going to bring up is influence. Those who have influence within the organization would definitely drive uh, what culture looks like. And that, that could mm-hmm. be a legacy employee that's been there from day one with mm-hmm. a very vibrant, um, you know, personality. Maybe mm-hmm. one that's very, you know, magnanimous mm-hmm. um, in, in certain ways. Or it could be somebody with uh, the pocketbook that's writing the checks mm-hmm. and they could influence whether or not, you know, certain projects within your organization are funded or mm-hmm. not. Let's not forget the good old boy club, the good yeah. old boys club, because mm-hmm. what, where I'm at right now, what I've noticed is, is that certain guys who have been there for 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. they band together. Yes. And they're trying to retain and maintain a culture of when the company started 25 or 30 years ago. And they want to keep that going forward. So that good old boys club played mm-hmm. a tremendous... Or, or some of the companies, um, you know, hire family members, yep. personal fr- family members or yep. friends or neighbors or things like that. And so then you've got a situation where um, you don't... You, you can't say anything because you don't know if that person sitting next to you is dating somebody else that's uh, next to you. So, you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the, the the place where the amoeba comes in is when we're talking about a, an intentional change. There's some group, whether it's like the entry-level employees or whether it's middle management or the executive team, some group is trying to affect a cultural change because they honestly think it will be better for the profitability of the company. And it's kind of like the tipping point, I guess you could say, where there's like this consensus that's forming on a nonverbal level, perhaps, mm-hmm. And it's not entirely self-aware, um, but it, it it starts to gravitate towards one direction, and then one person goes ahead and like pulls it back to where it was. So the idea being this this little tiny amoeba, if you can right. imagine it, is trying to go up a, a pyramid type of yes. shape, right? And it gets to the tip. It gets to the tip. It looks like it might go over and then suck back down. Yeah. And it tries again. It gets up there and it's sucked back down at the last minute. And then everyone's watching it, never knowing if it'll go over. And then finally it does tip over. Right. And the interesting thing, as I was talking with uh, somebody yesterday about this, this analogy, is the amoeba 
doesn't even know that it's gone over the tip until after the fact. Well, you right. I think that person that. was was talking about within that particular organization. They had used mm-hmm. RUP, you know, at the very beginning for mm-hmm. a few years, and then they had switched to a lean approach for a few years because they mm-hmm. got scared, and then they would revert to something else, and then and then mm-hmm. they switched to something else, and so they they never quite fully got on board with it. Right when it started to get scary, right when yep. that amoeba was like about a to lack go. of commitment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's what, what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the that's the thing that's interesting about culture is there's no there's no physical form. It's very hard to measure, and there is latency in understanding really where it's at. And the last piece of this is that there's certain individuals who completely like if they were to leave the organization, mm-hmm. they were the main champion. And when they're gone, you can have the culture devolved to anything else. Right. So Certainly. so what I was going to say with that is it's like that particular strategy or whatever that amoeba represents that's trying to make it over the top of that pyramid mm-hmm. needs to almost have an evangelist within the organization that's spearheading that project or that idea or that initiative. Agreed. And if that person leaves, then the amoeba sort of just withers away. Yep. Or just, you know, that person, not just being an, an evangelist, but it's building a coalition yes a, a coalition of, of individuals who come together as a team to carry that forward right. not just one person driving it that's that's true yeah. Yeah. all right anything else on the topic of culture eating what mm-hmm. let's no, move good. on <laughs> the next card says agile practices make me tired dr dave oh agile practices make me tired uh this is from um a software developer's perspective who's constantly building software, as you know, in, in their agile practices. Um, they long for the day when they could have some time to rest. Because, as you know, um, at the end of every sprint, whether it's one or to four weeks, you have to develop, develop something and deliver that to market. Oh. And so that's always a big issue for a lot of people. I even hear like leaders within the organization complaining that it makes them tired. <laughs> so, so I have a couple of ideas. This is Brett, by the way. Um, I, I think that uh, it's true in a lot of organizations yeah. that are implementing Agile um, or or they're trying to anyway, or just any other organization that's doing waterfall, you've got people that are tired. And one, I, I know that one of the, the principles of Agile is a, a sustainable pace. Yeah. Um, but even if the pace is sustainable, um, to some degree, I think people need at a personal level the variety, the ability to contribute to some ideas of their own to the project. And I think that there are probably getting tired because of those those own personal, um, those personal goals are not being fulfilled on some level. So I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we're talking around a topic, which is hackathons. Um, Maybe an antidote for this kind of exhaustion. I don't know um, if ha- personally, I'm very, I'm a skeptic. I'll just come out. I'm a skeptic about hackathons being a reset button for people's energy levels or creativity levels or just um, politically charged uh, irritation levels, let's say. But I think... Do you want to define what a hackathon means? Oh, yeah. Good point. So a hackathon is where, for some number of days, the, the team is either disbanded or reassigned or, or given free license to work on something other than the product that they traditionally work on. And... In my experience, uh, 
teams are spun down for a couple, let's say, three days. And these hackathons, like, they, they can work on it as a team as much as they want. They select their own topic. The teams vote on which, uh, the members vote on which team that they want to become a part of. And then they, they make something and present it. Well, well that's consistent with, um, with SAFE, the Scale Agile framework. And, you know, p- part of the setup is that you have this hardening innovation and planning sprint. Yeah. Which is a full two weeks to really just get off the treadmill mm-hmm. and take some time to have face-to-face innovation discussions and also to get into some of the hackathons and, mm-hmm. and um, different activities like how that. How much of hardening innovation and what was the last one? Planning. Planning. How much of that goes to innovation, though? Because in my experience, there's a lot of hardening going on. Yeah. So my, my experience is that actually very little. It's kind of... here. Here's the human dilemma is that... Um, we use the amount of time that we're given to cr- to accomplish certain tasks or goals. And so if everybody looks at that hardening sprint as a safety net for uh, pro- plan overruns, mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, we didn't get to this story, but there's always a hardening sprint. We'll catch up in the hardening sprint. When that becomes something that's fairly consistent or regular, then you really don't have a hardening sprint. You just have an extra sprint to your release and I wish I could say that I look back and and see human nature not consuming that but it does I'm not calling it procrastination I'm calling it like the the variance in estimation and um, sizing of goals sizing of complexity and that it's it's not it's it's seldom ever used for for something separate from the product. But it takes commitment of the leadership within the organization mm-hmm. to make that happen, yep. and it also takes commitment from the team members themselves to lead a revolt if they have to to make sure that that innovation space is allowed. And so it's just being intentional and setting that up. And you're right; I, I see the same thing as, as we're practicing the safe model that. That that two, that's one sprint is used for hardening, which is, hey, uh, can we squeeze this new feature in? <laughs> but, it, but if you're that programmer that's tired, yeah. you know what I mean, and that whole team is exhausted and burnt out, and uh, you know, it, you know they can they can bitch and gripe all they want, but unless upper management is really going to be responsive to that, it's true. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of uh, organizations that will just refer to the project plan or their their budget and say, well, we don't have the time or the budget. Mm-hmm. We got to get this out right the door. We're trying to meet these deadlines, um, perhaps, you know, for that particular project. And, and so, so is the scrum master doing his job? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's a question, <laughs> right? The scrum master is supposed to be really looking at the pace and saying we're pulling too much into the sprint, folks. Let's let's really look at our estimates. And stretch goals are nice, but we're not gonna we're not gonna hit all of our stretch goals every single sprint. Um, the other thing I think you were mentioning, um, Dr. Dave, about like people are not machines. If you if you really do forget that, if you think that um, let's say that they're not machines, but they're workhorses. Um, at least treat them like a workhorse. You don't put a you don't put away horses wet. You you feed them, give them medicine, let them recover between sprints. Yep. And 
when you fail to do that, you pay the price. When, when you said that, it reminded me, and I was thinking of it anyway, saying it, but at uh, my former place, we also said, the CEO said, he wants to treat all employees, regardless whether they're developers or not, but specifically developers, as rested racehorses. Nice. So that they are capable of delivering like two or three times out of the year, just like taking a sprint and like blazing fast. Yep. But otherwise, put them, you know, dry them off before you put them away. And, yep. You know, That's a great them. analogy. The owner for, for uh, what's it called, California Dream? You California Chrome. How, uh, California Chrome? Right. Yeah. The newest he, he was, one, yeah. What's that? This is a thoroughbred horse who was, okay. the owners were pretty mad because he lost. Belmont, lo- I think, last week. Yeah, he just he lost, lost to Belmont, yeah. right? He was pretty mad because um, his horse ran the three legs of, of this uh, triple crown. And there was another owner who came along, rested his horse, and then came in and just won the last leg. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> so he was pretty upset. But it, it goes to the fact that you have to have rest. Yes. And you need rest in order to be able to innovate and, and really to be productive so within an organization. Let me ask this question. Do you need mental rest? Can you, can you mentally burn out on like just problem solving all the time? I, I, say, I, I say yes. I think mm-hmm. if you're doing mental work, you need time to... to decompress right and, and i think that if we we're not given that opportunity to decompress go out there hit some golf balls mm-hmm. um do something else uh, you know mm-hmm. I, I do this as a practice in my days that i go out and i walk for 20 minutes mm-hmm. at work so that i could really open up my three-dimensional space because yep. you get locked into that computer man it, mm-hmm. you know your brain just fries out at the end of the day what th- about pomodoros do those fit into your Ooh. idea of rest i think that it does so you the pomodoro technique means that you you work in a very focused non-interrupted way for something like 25 minutes is it and then you give five minutes to your mind and it's not just rest it's reintegrating the learnings of that last 25 minutes right. and you can also do a double pomodoro yeah mm-hmm. like yesterday at scrum day mm-hmm. that whole agenda that was set up was a double pomodoro right. so it was a mm-hmm. 50 minute learning um mm-hmm. session mm-hmm. followed by a 10 minute break yeah. Yeah. and and half the room during the re- retrospectives then came back to say that this was too many breaks and then some of them said that um there was just the right number of breaks. So it was really interesting for different people. Um, a different, different length of Pomodoro might be appropriate. Yep. All right, good. So our next card, two new Agile Coffee uses, yes. Afterglow and one-on-one cold calling. Yeah. So um, as I've been thinking about conversations that I wish had happened or could have happened better, I think of two... Agile Coffee applications that I haven't yet experienced but would like to experiment with. Well, one is like a post-conference afterglow Agile Coffee. I think we've, with the concept of coffee being the thing that starts off your day, gets you energized, we think of it as like a pre-conference mingle uh, kind of uh, lightweight framework. However, when a conference is finished is when you've just been inundated with a bunch of new ideas that you could talk about. So perhaps that needs to be called an Agile Coffee Happy Hour. Yeah, yeah, I think something like that. Um, and the other one, I, I mean, just to kind of give you both topics. So cold calling, in my mind, is kind of like shorthand for building the Agile community. 
because apparently from a, a friend I made in New Orleans at a Global Scrum Gathering, that's how the Austin, Texas community in Agile grew really quickly is somebody just started calling these large companies that were Agile shops, it turns out, and saying, can I please talk with your Scrum Master? Okay, let's assume that they say sure and connect you, and then Scrum Master comes along. What do you say then? Well, she says, how about if we just go meet at some you know, uh, coffee shop or restaurant and get to know each other and talk a little bit about work and Agile? Okay, sounds great. However, I think that that could be a little bit daunting even from the person who initiated it. Like it might creep somebody out out of nowhere. You cold call them and say, let's talk. But if I was using Agile Coffee, if I said, hey, let's sit down. Each of us writes out three or four cards about like what what's on our minds about work or about personal improvement. And let's talk about each one of them for five minutes. And after 45 minutes is up. Um, we'll decide whether to get together. So the conversation really is, is is with them. What's in it for me? Yes. And so you have to have a value proposition that you're selling. Otherwise, I'm not going to meet with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just has to come down to that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great concept of, of cold calling. And, um, but would that be cold calling you know, within an organization or, or, as you were talking about, at a conference. So mm-hmm. let's say I met you, John, and, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps in that context, perhaps I could try that one-on-one yes. because we're face-to-face and I'm mm-hmm. not creeped out by it, maybe in that yeah. context. <laughs> right. And and so kind of maybe this relates to coaching circles, but, like, in some coaching circles, it's one-on-one. And I would have told you maybe a week or two ago, oh, what's the value in that? I can talk to other Scrum Masters anytime. Well... Yes and no. Um, when it's Scrum Masters that are at my company, there's probably things that I'm going to filter out of the conversation. And when it's like a complete stranger that I met at a conference, maybe, there's things that I'm going to, again, filter out of the conversation. But if it's somebody that like I may never see again, and we're actually we're sharing kind of our woes and we're sharing our successes and trying to help each other learn something that we don't already know, Maybe for me, that's what's in it for me. And maybe if the other party sees that that's what potentially could be in it for them, maybe that is worth showing up at a coffee shop someplace for an hour, sometime that's convenient for both of us. It's just a guess. So that wraps up the topic. Just a reminder that we do follow the rules of Lean Coffee, which were started up in the Pacific Northwest in 2009. Our time boxes for conversations are typically five minutes. With Roman voting at the end of the initial five minutes, uh, thumbs up to extend it another three minutes, uh, thumbs down to end it, or just a flat palm saying I can go with whatever the crowd decides. We'd like to remind you to join the conversation by reaching out to us on Twitter by using the hashtag AskAgileCoffee for any questions or hashtag TellAgileCoffee if you'd like to respond to anything that you've heard on this or any other podcast. This brings us to the end of part one of the session that was recorded on Saturday, June 14th at Paradise Perks in Irvine, California. I'd like once again to thank my guests, John Jorgensen at Water Scrum Bond, Brett Palmer at Brett underscore Palmer, and Dave Cornelius at Dr. Cornelius Info. You can reach me at Agile Coffee. Join us next time. We've got part two in the recording session from June 14th. We've got three more topics for that day. 
going to be discussing zero QA, planned serendipity, and enabling innovation. Part three in this conversation, also recorded on June 14th, we'll have three more topics, coaching circles and career path, software development is not manufacturing, and something called the bat out of hell syndrome. Sounds very exciting, so please join us again for another dose of Agile Coffee.